Talk and Power, your motorsport and motoring radio show. Now on 88.5 FM, the valley comes alive. And podcasting across iTunes and talkandpower.com.au. Okay, episode 60 of the Talk and Power podcast. I'm here with Simon Gonzo Travellini and Todd Brinkworth, and I'm Nick DeCembri. Welcome, guys. Scomo, 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 Scomo. Sorry. All right, guys. It's not teenagers. I, I have watched many a Bathurst win over the years and not felt that kind of energy in a room. <laughs> Hey, I mean, Bill Shorten was practically unbackable, wasn't he? Sports bet. Yeah. <laughs> they, they paid out early. Paid was... out early. Un, unbackable odds. It really throws into question um, Newspole, Galaxy, who own Newspole, and, and most of the polls, actually. Yeah, but you know what? The thing that frustrated me about all the talk about the polls is that they're still going to use them again. That's crazy. You they, know, need, what, no, what, they, they need to rethink polls. They need to just drop them, yeah. right? The reality is you go there with your policies. If the people elect you, you're in, right? And the other thing too, I've listened to a lot of in, in you know, since the, the weekend in this, during this week, and uh, there's a couple of things that, that, that I'm picking up that, you know, that they're just not getting the whole gist of yet you know the first thing was um the labor party is in this kind of uh, denial as to why they lost mm. right the next thing is the reliance on on the polls you know the polls had him ahead i mean we even well, we were going off the polls like everyone else we yeah, said yeah he's you know it's going to happen shorten's going to get in they've completely lost touch with their core voters 100%. And the reality is, and this is the part that they really haven't, not a single person spoken about it. If they didn't get the green preferences, mate, they would have probably lost another 15, 16 seats. Mm. It would have been a, what we would consider a landslide victory for Scott Morrison. Now, to give you a bit of an update, right? A, a few people early on threw their hat into the ring, right? Um, you had Tanya. <laughs> Let's call her Tanya. Tanya. Tanya, right. She's pulled out. Yeah. A lot of rumours about her personal life having something to do with it. Mm. I'm not I'm not going to, you know, discuss no, I it. Think she, I think she disclosed that she's got a young family and she needs to focus on that as well. Then you had, uh, uh, oh, forget the guy's name. But you Anthony. Got, you got Anthony Albanese now, mm. right. He's basically been given the, the free ride. Yep. And Jim... Uh, Chambers. Chambers. From Queensland. Right. Yeah. There was another guy that threw his hat in the ring, but he's pulled it out since. Chris and Bowen? Still Chris Bowen. Yeah. Chris Bowen, yeah. So he's he's backed elbow 100%. And, and, and I'll tell you guys, the Labor Party, they've sat down, they've thought about this, and they, they reckon they know why they lost. They reckon, nah, it's got nothing to do with, with the climate change policy. It's got nothing to do with the fact that Alan Jones called out plebiscite, plebiscite, whatever her name is, and, and said, do you know how much carbon dioxide there is in the atmosphere? And by the way, do you guys know how much carbon dioxide there is in the atmosphere? No. Okay, so so I listened to Q&A, right? I watched it Monday yeah, night. As yeah, well. right, right. So And Jamesy came out with these numbers and I thought, bullshit, that can't be right. So I researched it. I, I spent, you know, I, I 
busted my hand, so I've got nothing else to do. Spent the last couple of days <laughs> looking it up. And so th- th- here's the deal, okay? I knew that we had roughly 21% oxygen because when I'm tuning or whatever, it's a reference. We've always used an AFR uh, that measures just oxygen as well as corrected altitude to give us a rough idea of what's going on down at the track. So I knew we had about around 21%, varies a little bit. I knew that we had about 77%, you know, and there was 2% of other stuff, okay? I always figured that there was a big chunk of that that was carbon dioxide. It is, and and please listen, 0.04% of the atmosphere, right? And and I've, I've read all the, the papers now on climate change. It started with this guy back in 1938 who, who proposed that industrialization was heating the earth up through the emission of carbon dioxide and there's some merit there's some stuff in there i'm still doing a bit of research i've actually written to dr carl I've, I've written you know with my understanding of it and asking him to clarify and i've also written to explain a couple of things that don't add up right because we've discussed before on here that we've said if uh, if the carbon dioxide is stored by the plant matter that's become coal and oil and gas right then we're just letting it back out into the atmosphere Mm. but there's no evidence to suggest that there was ever as much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere according to all the documentations available see when you when you look at it in percentage and this is the thing this is the other thing that that alan jones said which i couldn't get my head around and i researched it so of that 0.04 percent of the total atmosphere of the earth that's carbon dioxide only about four percent, three point four actually. He said four percent is man-made, right? And then of that, right, of the three point four percent, Australia's emissions is less than one percent of that. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So, but but you talk to the climate people, the people that are pushing this climate agenda and, and carbon trading and so on and so forth, and they talk about how there's been this massive increase in CO two. Right now, now the the amount that is quoted, if you do the maths, is forty three percent. And I thought, how they how did they measure that when they're you know? So what they talk about is parts per million, right? So they've got charts that show that for the history of the world, going back hundreds of thousands of years, we've never risen above three hundred parts per million, and now we're at four hundred and thirty five parts per million. So that's a considerable increase, right? Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll talk about this some other time. Let's get back to Labor. So Labor sat down. It's not their, their climate change policy. No way. It's not that, right? Um, it, it's not that they really tried to, to you know, uh, ca- cause division, saying the big end of town continually, right? It's not that they forgot the worker. It's not that they don't understand that the cost of living is so high now that most people struggle uh, week to week day to day, uh, losing their houses and so on. It's got nothing to do with that, right? You know, because there were swings towards Labor in affluent seats. Mm. People that have got money, you know, well, look, you know, they, they voted for us. <laughs> so it's got nothing to do with the fact that they completely distanced themselves from their core blue-collar worker voter, right? It's got to do with the fact that Bill Shorten didn't have a nickname. Run <laughs> that while me again. <laughs> Well, we'll see, ScoMo, Scott oh, Morrison, come on. he had a nickname. Yeah. It was easy for the Aussies to relate to him, ScoMo. What were they going to do with Bill? Call him Wild Bill? That's not going to work. You know, the, the Liberal Party capitalised on it, the Bill Australia couldn't afford, mm. right? They would have been better off going with William, you know? Could have yeah. called him Willie or Shorty. Yeah. 
Blinky Bill. Willie Short or Short Willie. Yeah. Oh. (laughs) Anyway, so they've sat down and they've gone, we need to find someone that the public knows, they've heard his name, and that we can come up with a nickname for. Anthony Albanese. Albo. Elbow. 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 That that is that is wow. the Labor Party's <laughs> that is the Labor Party's great weapon that they're going to use to beat the Liberals in in the next election. The who, elbow. No wonder Hawkey went early. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Bob, but you know. <laughs> Just to bring just to bring us back to a bit of a motorsport podcast <laughs> to, to create an analogy here. Before Bill, Simon and I get yeah. sidetracked. No, no, but Bill Shorten had this election run and done. But it's his policies that he added in, in the last year that or in the last even six months that really complicated matters here. And that's what makes me wonder. He had this race one and done. He was in the staging beams. He didn't, he didn't need to deep stage. He was on a solo. Yeah. He was on a solo. He was on a solo. And he crossed, crossed the crossed, centre line. Yeah. <laughs> no, he red light the solo. That's pretty much what happened. No, no, but you still win if you, you red light. Yeah, yeah, he he yeah. crossed the centre line and had mechanical engine failure beyond belief. Get pull the sheets. That's that's what I, that's the thing. He could have played safe, uh, swum between the flags, as they say, or you know, not, didn't gone, need to deep gone stage into it. stage, gone into stage, accepted the green and reversed the car. Yeah. Done a fifty foot, gone home. But not even, did. not even. Could it, once the thing goes green, you can back out of there, man. You know, unless you're going for. Uh, uh, lane choice yeah. in in the next round. You you don't need to run it. You can, you can reverse it out. <laughs> so he's deep staged. He's trying to cut it. He could have even cut a uh, an O one light, but he's going to try to cut a, a an O zero zero light. Oh went, yeah, and, and red lit. He's red yeah. lit across the centre line. Across the centre line. Blew the motor. Up. Blew the motor up. Yeah, and didn't pull the chutes. Yeah. And he's gone into the sand trap as well. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Right. That's that's how we can. The now, analogy, now, now, right? And then hang on, and then blame the recovery crew when the car didn't come out. There well, you go. No, look, I, I think that he he didn't he didn't blame. You know, this is the thing. I I, I take my hat off to him, and I, I will always think of Bill Shorten as being a half decent bloke because he just said, "Oh, well, you know, I don't know why it happened, but it, it happened." It's all the idiots around him, you know, like Penny Wong. She, I mean, she is the problem with the Labor Party. If you took Penny Wong out of the Labor Party, their popularity would go through the roof. Yes, their popularity with rich people that live in, in urban centres will probably go down a little bit because that's who relates to her. But she is the, the mentality of the, of the Labor Party which is leftovers from the Keating era, mm. where they don't care about the blue-collar worker anymore. We're just shitheads as far as they're concerned. <laughs> oh, they don't even believe in climate change, you know? So we'll see what happens. I, I, there's a lot of people within the Labor Party pushing for Jim Chambers to, to come in because, you know, they want a Y-Gen millennial, whatever you want to call him, in, in, in the throw because they think they're going to pull the young vote. They're not going to pull the young vote. The young vote is going to go either Liberal... Or Labor because of a traditional reason. If it's not, it's going to go green, right? They they need to think about their relationship with the Greens. If they want to be the Greens, then just shut it down and call it the Greens, mm. right? Yep. Um, if you want to be the Labor Party, you got to go and look after the, the blue collar workers. One of the things that really upset me was the 
you know, they talk about scare campaigns and that, right? Now they're saying that the unions in Queensland told voters to vote against Labor. That's there's no way I can tell you now that the a, a, a union representative went to see one of my customers at his work, rounded everyone up, sat them down, said, "We need all of you to vote Labor." And, and during that meeting, he because he he listens to our podcast and and he said, "I, I want to know why should we we should vote Labor?" And he said, "Oh, well, you know, because they they're the ones that support us." Blah blah blah. And he said you're going to go for this ridiculous emissions target and put how many mechanics and the services around that industry out of work. Imagine what these poor apprentices here are going to be thinking. They, by the time they've done their apprenticeship, they're going to be phased out. So how's that a labour policy and how's that a blue-collar policy and how's that going to help us? The poor guy had to leave. <laughs> he, you know, like he was, he was kind of thinking this guy's right but you know they're blaming everyone else they need to take a good look at themselves and and you know what honestly they really need someone new there someone that no one knows not Albanese or Plibersek or they need someone that no one knows that represents the blue collar workers someone you know like that was the thing with Hawkey he fought very hard when he was the 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 trade union boss Mm. you know what I mean so he took that role and, and everyone looked up to him and they said, this guy is really going to do something for us. Um, you know, unfortunately, I, I, I kind of disagree with some of the policies that he brought in because I think that unless you're going to have, you know, free trade is a great thing as long as everyone's paying the same wages and the same insurance and the same electricity and the same, you know, you know, the costs are the same. Or else it's just going to end up that the country that has the cheapest stuff is going to get all the trade and the country that's got the expensive stuff ain't going to have nothing, you know, and that's basically what's happened. It, I, I, I would argue for anyone to say that we have, and, and this is, I'm not talking about everyone, right? I'm talking about, the the core labor voters the blue collar workers i would like to see anyone come forward and argue that that they have a better standard of living now than they did uh prior to the hawk era you know what i mean like that 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 trade union movement really got the wages up right but the thing that came with that is as soon as we opened the borders and we floated the dollar we also got the inflation to come with it yeah and that and that you know killed us I mean, interest rates are about 19% at one stage mm. here. So you'd have to... And you know what? Hawkey dying may have had the opposite effect to what everyone thought it was going to do. People might have gone, oh, yeah, I remember those guys. I think <laughs> that's, a good point. that's a good point, actually. I think you're right. I've got to bring that up myself. Yeah. I think, anyway. I think uh, people have got to hang on a minute. Let's... Uh, on that note, we'll take a break and we'll be back right we'll, after We'll be this. back with a MotoGP. We'll, <laughs> we'll be back with some motorsports. <laughs> Okay, welcome back to the Talk and Power podcast, episode 60. Guys, watch the MotoGP? So I've heard that they're going to rebrand it, the Marquez show. Yeah, it looks that <laughs> way, doesn't it? He's certainly... Jack Miller put a bit of a fight up, but we must say. Oh, mate, the, the opening laps were incredible. Hmm. Absolutely incredible. It looked like it was going to be a great race. Once Marquez uh, got out in front clean, 
and it started to get the rhythm, he was taking two tenths of a second off the the field, basically the whole field, mm. every single lap, and that is astonishing. And he was doing it all at one corner. Now, there's been a lot of debate about, you know, is it the power? Is it the handling? Is it Marquez? It is very clear after watching that race that the power delivery, the traction control, let's call it for argument's sake, that the Honda has is leaps, bounds and miles in front of all the other manufacturers. Yeah. Um, and, and as a result of that, if you can get the power delivery down, then your tyre degradation, your rear tyre degradation is going to be uh, a lot less. The tyre's going to last longer. You're going to have more grip towards the end of the race. The sad part about this race, I mean, it, it really did start off like, oh, I, I'll tell you what, it was reminiscent of Jack Miller in the wet. Yeah, you know, I yeah. thought... Wow, this is going to be incredible, but um, it, you know, I, I'd say he just chopped that rear tire too hard too early and mm. didn't have anything left in the tank uh, towards the end of the race. But the the sad part of this race was uh, the Frenchman. Uh, I've forgotten his name, and you haven't written it in the notes. <laughs> Fabio Quartararo. Yep, Quartararo. That's the one. Fabio Quartararo. He. He had a little bit of a moment, yep. ran wide, ended up a long way back. Mm. Towards the end of the race when he got his rhythm, he was lapping faster than everyone there. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and if he had have been able to pull that off in, in the beginning of the race, uh, because he qualified uh, reasonably well from... Yeah, he did. I think it was four for... Third or fourth, I can't he, remember. He, he was up there. He was up there. But if he had been able to pull that off early on in the race, yep. in front of essentially what's his home crowd, because mm. he's a Frenchman, yeah. yep. um, it would have been incredible, uh, not only for him, but for MotoGP. Now, he's had two hard lucks in two races. He had a, uh, a gear shifter uh, lever oh, yeah. malfunction. Yep. And, uh, you know, he had a bit of bad luck in the start of this race. Um, it was good to see... Uh, you know, Dovi uh, get up there mm. so that there's still a bit of a challenge in the points. Yeah. You know, the points are still yep. not. It's it it it's you can't you can't say that Marquez has run away with the championship because he had that DNF. Mm. Um, but you've got to say if you judged the rest of the season off that one race, Marquez has got it in the bag. Mm. You know, yep. The, yep. the the manufacturers need to do something in a hurry. Um, the other notable uh, point from this particular round was KTM was um, uh, trialling their new carbon... F so a lot of the teams have been going to carbon fibre frames and swing arms, mm. and KTM had their new carbon fibre frame out, and the riders absolutely loved it. Yeah. They reckon that, uh, you know, the, the, it just changed the characteristics of the bike. Now, you need to be careful when you go to carbon. Carbon's a lot stiffer than, than aluminium, um, and as such... You know, if you think about the dynamics of a motorcycle, when you're laid over at 60 degrees, your suspension is not necessarily the suspension you've designed into it. It's the flex in the frame and the flex in the swing arm. And uh, I don't know if you guys noticed, but a couple of guys lost the front of their bikes early on in the race, and that's been attributed to the carbon fibre componentry. So it's going to be, it's in, you know, because you look at Formula One and they went carbon a long, long time ago and, and it's just been accepted, but... The motorcycle doesn't really work that way, mm. you know, because you're, when you're laid over at 60 degrees, the, the suspension arm is, is not 
you know, where the bump is, the bump is, is, is basically 60 degrees to the suspension pivot point. Yeah, that's right. So you're relying yeah. on that flex. So it'll be but, interesting to see, you know, what comes out of that. It's funny you should say that. In the warm-up lap, we had two go off. In, in correct. The warm-up, correct. So. That, yep. got, that got pretty ugly because then I think Carol Abraham tried to get back on the race, get back in the race, and he exited the pit lane prior to the leader doing his first lap and um that resulted in the black flag yeah that's not allowed no no so yeah that was an unfortunate situation so look in the end miller just wasn't able to keep that pressure up on on um on marquez there and it was good to see him have a real red hot crack i must say petrucci was another one that really i mean you know that team with dovi and petrucci they've done really well to get those guys but is jack still auditioning for that ride oh, look I, I think that, that he's got a lot of potential but I think where he's going to shine as he has done in the past is if there's a wet race mm. um, a fourth is a good position I mean let's not forget he finished in front of Rossi that's right um, yeah but you would have to argue that the Ducati is probably still a faster bike mm. than, than the um, the Yamaha and, and ironically they were all saying this track was going to favour the Yamaha yeah you know clearly it, it didn't favor the yamaha no. so um look you know to see those boys mixing it up and they look like they had a great time you know marquez was gone the rest of them were fighting amongst themselves at the end of the race he, there was no animosity there they were all patting each other on the back and and talking about the 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 great uh, battle that they had mm. um it's good to see it's good for the sport but certainly i mean you know the other manufacturers need to lift their game the the one that we're all still waiting to to fire a shot is uh jorge he, he uh i've given up yeah well, <laughs> bring you don't ever want to talk about it I'll bring it up every right. episode let's, let's talk, no 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 i'm happy to talk about let's it let's talk but. about something else that failed to fail to fire a shot the tcr <laughs> <laughs> here we go Look, I'll be honest with you. I only saw the highlights of it. I wasn't, I wasn't in the position to there watch the highlights. Yeah, oh yeah, there was SBS do quite a good, good job in that, and that, that's one. The highlight to SBS and the Speedweek team as well. I think they're doing a pretty good job over there. Oh, hundred percent. The highlight for me was when it was over. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us what you're thinking. No, no, yeah. I actually want to hear Todd's opinion on this one because they they vary. Yeah, I, I, I must be. I watched. The highlights, I didn't see much of the racing as it happened. Um, I thought it was quite good, but uh, as is about to be pointed out to me again, and is the truth, <laughs> there was a distinct lack of passing. I, I think that Nick refers to it as follow the leader. Mm. <laughs> well, okay. Lie. So, uh, look. What, I, what the, I don't know who came up with the class. I don't know who's running it, but it, it, it smells, you know, like John Howard... <laughs> throughout this campaign was going it smells of 93 <laughs> it smells of the supercars um the the british touring car championships is one of the marvels of modern motor racing mm. right yeah the amount of overtaking the crazy rules that you can bump someone off but as long as you slow down and let them get back in front <laughs> yeah. it's, it's all good um really makes it so much fun to to watch and whenever it's on, my wife will sit down and watch it because yep. she reckons it's a cracker. And I sat down all excited about this, going, babe, this is going to be like the British Touring Car Championship. And it's not. <laughs> it is like the V8 supercars. 
Um, they all just follow each other around the track. There's no... I, I don't know what the rules are, but if I was going to guess after watching it, what they've done is make all the cars the same. Two-litre, naturally aspirated, front-wheel drive, whatever the, the, the yeah. rules are. And that is what kills <laughs> classes. You yeah. need to have disparity. You need to have cars that are fast on the straight and slow on the corners and vice versa. Yeah. You know, it's the only way you're going to get overtaking happening or else you have to make the tracks about 30 feet wide <laughs> or more. <laughs> but is this a work in progress? Is that, I mean, not I'm playing the, the devil's if, advocate Not if here. the rules are structured around two wheel, uh, front-wheel drive, two-litre yeah. cars. Well, if, I believe they are. Yeah, but... well, then it's not going to work. It's going to yeah. be the same as, as the supercars. The supercars don't work because they've got this box that the engine mm. needs to perform in. Here's the RPM, here's the torque, here's the this, that, and the other. They need to weigh this much. Their rear-wheel drive, the aero packages are, are screwed down tightly. Yeah. Um, and it really comes down to if you get a really good team like the, the Shell team, well-funded, mm. um, smart people, access to more smart people in the US, a great driver, and yep. they do well. They've dominated this season. Mm. Um, but they get to the front and, and they stay at the front, right? You go back to the old days, the, the Group Cs, you know, the, the 308 was like the, the Holden teams were better funded than the Ford teams. But the 308 didn't have that inline speed that the, the 351 did, you know. Yeah, yeah. So there was a clear uh, difference in the way the cars attacked the track. And, you know, even the Group A days, you know, you had the, the, the M3 BMW that kind of got in everyone's way on the corners. And, and, yeah. then, and then you had the big, the big banger that, well, it wasn't a big banger, but the 5-litre... Uh, the Jag, you know, there were so many of them when the Europeans were coming here. Mm. Yeah. Um, the GDR was another one. I mean, that, they, they threw that much weight on that thing. I would have been scared to drive. I'm surprised the suspension didn't collapse on it, you know, <laughs> yeah. trying to slow it down. But, you know, it had grip everywhere, you know. So even if you made it, if you tried to make it slower by throwing weight on it, 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 it had the four-wheel drive advantage and it had the grip around the corners. Um, and the Sierra was just a lighter version of that. But it mixed it up, you know. Yeah. You saw the cars getting in there and, and, and tussling it out. When you see follow the leader, you're basically waiting for the guy in front to make a mistake. Yeah. And that's not really racing, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, 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 you know, the thing is, wouldn't it be great if there was one two-litre front-wheel drive that represented the two-litre front-wheel drives and there was one, you know, whatever, two-litre rear-wheel drive yeah. that represented. So then you're not just barracking for the brand, you're barracking for that layout. Yeah, configuration. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I agree. You know? Just before we go to a break, we'll just quickly touch off on the results from TCR. So Jason Bright won race one. He'll go down as the inaugural winner in a, a Volkswagen Golf GDI. Tony Delberto in a Honda Civic Type R came second, and Will Brown in a Hyundai i30 came in third. What's the N? Not sure. I30N. Nitrous? No, no, no. no. It's no. a turbo version of the I30. Oh, okay. Um, They are quite awesome. In our yeah, yeah. A I, new I, competitor to the hot hatch. Yeah. So the Bam. Civic Type R, that's turbocharged as well. Yeah. Um, the Type R is, yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. Okay, there you go. Yeah. There you go. And I actually think the WRX is four-wheel drive. So, so, so we would... We, I don't know if they are. I reckon they've taken the back tail shaft and diff out. Because there's actually an Audi that's running, and I'm pretty sure the Audi's rear-wheel drive. Probably done the same thing. 
Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What I I was going to say is we have a definite contender now, uh, something to pace ourselves against with the Camry. Well, I've driven an I-30, but not the turbo version, let me tell you. But there, there isn't. Those cars don't look like there's a lot of the factory car there. Nah, no, probably not. No. You know. Just, and quickly, race two, we had Will Brown winning the I-30 again. Dylan O'Keefe in an Alfa Romeo Giulietta. And in third place, Tony Delberto in a Honda Civic again. Race three, Will Brown in the Hyundai I-30. Dylan O'Keefe second in the Alfa Romeo Giulietta. And in third place, Michael Armand in the Hyundai I-30. Yes, I like saying Giulietta. Yeah. <laughs> do, do, you know, do you know how they shuffle the cars around for each race? They start from where they finished the race yeah. before. Really? Yeah. Well, there must have been some overtaking there. <laughs> Or did Jason Bright break down? I'm not or, sure what no, happened. You know Bright, what? Maybe he didn't pass the no, emissions must, test. Must admit, in, in the highlights package, <laughs> I, I saw there was um, the Alfa Romeo and one of the Hyundai's going for a bit of a tussle. So there was some overtaking. <laughs> in the pit lane. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on that note, we'll take a break and we'll be back right after this. All right, welcome back to the Talking Power podcast. Here with Simon Gonzo Travellini, Todd Brinkworth, and I am Nick DeCembri. Now, Todd, you did you had a busy weekend. You were busier than ScoMo at a <laughs> democratic busy, sausage. He was busy, <laughs> busier than a one-legged man at an <laughs> kicking competition, <laughs> <laughs> running for a labour seat. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, so. Uh, Basically, it was Targa Southwest, which is the um, prequel to the Targa Bunbury Sprint, mm-hmm. and of course the big one, Targa West. Yep. Um, I uh, flew down to, uh, well, flew down as you drove you, down. Oh, you make it sound like you're a jet set. Oh, well, well, you well, know. Talking power budget. No, he didn't <laughs> tell you quite. how fast he was going in the car. When he... <laughs> I did the speed limit, thank you. So, of course you did. You know. Um, yeah, it's only two and a half hours of permanent, isn't it? So, <laughs> no, no, I need to say that, I promise. Um, no, uh, so we, yeah. And you made sure you stopped to get a rest on the way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, yourself that's hydrated. Stretch your legs. It's very important, anyone that's going on a long drive, mm. make sure if you feel tired, get out of the car, take a walk, no, stopped drink at, some water. Stopped at the uh, Beldarvis BP and... Stretch your legs. Had a sausage roll and got some fuel, so <laughs> we're all good. Haven't you been watching those ads? <laughs> Yeah, oh, no, which one? Yeah. The guy who holds his... He looks a lot like me, actually. Why me? Holds hey, his look. Stomach. I hadn't eaten for two days, so hey, why not? You know, went in Rome. So, so it actually took you 48 hours to get to bed. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Might, you know, pass the hospital, you know. Just get... Anyway. <laughs> get sidetracked already. We're in big time. Um, yeah, so headed down Saturday morning, uh, caught a couple of stages during the, during the day, so... It started off with um, uh, Big Brook Dam North, which is a little stage just outside of Pemberton. Um, unfortunately, there was a, an incident that occurred pretty much as I got into town that uh, delayed the stage. This stage was also the stage that our one of our other guests came off on in a previous year, Denver Parker. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. Reports from a few people down there. It was very wet and very, very cold, and I can vouch for that. I got out of the car and it was pretty much misty, cold, wet fog. <laughs> yeah. the best way to describe it. And that, that, that was the contributing factor for that? Yeah, they think 
you know, and speaking to a few, uh, well, competitors, they've kind of agreed that Big Brook is m- maybe not the best stage to go into on day one. It's kind of straight into the fry pan, so to speak. Yeah. Or straight out of the fry pan. But regardless of that, they uh, cancelled a few stages after that. And um, I, I believe almost half the field didn't even get to run the first stage. So wow. They were still parked up in the pits, so to speak, and just told to hold on. So, uh, yeah, the, the good news is the, um, well, the driver was pretty roughed up and the co-driver. Um, they were both taken to Royal Perth Hospital, which was, you know, pretty drastic. They are... Um, Airlifted? Yeah. Um, at time of going to air, hopefully they have both been released. So, I don't know. Wow, once, it must what, have been a big accident. It was. Did you see the car at all? Um, I have. I can't say much about it, but it was pretty gnarly. Like, it's, I've seen a few stacks down there. But this is the reason that we, we fit so much safety gear to our cars. Oh, look, it, it's know. made me even think twice about a car I'm building in the background. On, I'm going to change my build slightly and go, hang on. There you go, you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to cage anyway, but I'm actually going to spec the cage up a bit and do a few things different just in case. This is is why I've always, you know, been sceptical about the 10-0 rule um, down at the drags. I I think that if you can do 130 mile an hour, there is a good chance you're going to hurt yourself if you crash. So roll cage is... You know, I, I'm not being comfortable with that rule for some time, and a car rolls on a, against along the wall. I, doesn't, I don't care how mm. late model it is. There's going to be anyway. Damage. Look, anyway, it, sorry. As long as they're um, so so. What did they end up having to run that stage uh, through no. the next day, or did they no, just so they just canned it? Yeah, they um, yep. had a bit of a meeting basically in the pits. Got got everyone out of the stage basically, and said, "Look, we're going to cancel that stage in the morning and." Had a bit of an hour break, so to speak. We're going to go straight to the next set of stages, um, which was a stage called Pembinon Northcliffe Road. And it's actually pretty interesting. What they did is they shut off the road between Pembinon and Northcliffe. So essentially the highway. <laughs> um, just outside of Pembinon. Oh, build a rally car, Nick. <laughs> I know. We're and, and, um, missing out. <laughs> and, yeah, you sort of... Did I have an unlimited class, Todd? <laughs> yes, indeed. Um... And they basically head off towards Northcliffe. Um, and great idea. They head, I actually don't know how many kilometres it was, but head off down the road. Then they all park up at that end. Then there's a half an hour intermission, so to speak, and they all run back towards you. <laughs> oh, my God. And as a, as a spectator, I thought... Land speed with corners. <laughs> it, initially, it was a... Um, they came out of a car park at our end, and it was a, a quick right flick, and they disappeared down the road. Bit boring <coughs> to watch. But on the return, they were absolutely hoofing. Oh, and they, yeah, they were. And um, they were all turning back into this car park they came out of. And there was a few late breaks and a few <laughs> miscalculations. And let's just say um, by now the weather had actually fined up quite nicely, but was still a Pemberton ice cold, I believe, 7 or 8 degrees. <laughs> and the road was quite slippery. To go to woe with corners. <laughs> and, um, yeah, there was a few... Not... Like, just a few pants moments would be the best way to put it, I think, by a few people. Um, so, yeah, that was... I quite enjoyed that stage. And the great thing is it was only a whole three or four minutes out of Pemberton, and then you just drive back into town. So, have you got some results? I do. I'm getting to those. <laughs> like, give me a sec, you know. So I'm, um, I'm curious to know about this. I can't read it on my notes here, but 
this name here, the, the way it's been printed out. Of Dowd, who's that? Oh, O'Dowd. O'Dowd. So, um, O'Dowd. notes. Yeah, these are, these yeah. are Todd's notes. And, um, so, O'Dowd had his R5 rally car there, which was one of the new spec of rally cars that I saw at Nanup and Bustleton only well, a month and a bit ago, if not two months. They had to do some uh, pretty heavy modifications, apparently, to make it a tarmac spec car. That's what I was going to say. So it competed in the ARC only yeah. a few weeks ago. Okay. And um, interesting to watch. I thought it would be a, a dark horse and be an absolute weapon, but um, I think it was limited by the fact it's good around corners and can go flat out through corners but didn't have the top-end speed of an Evo 7 or Evo 8 that was built for Tarmac Rally. Mm. Wow. Because it just well, seemed... You'd think that something that advanced you could change yeah. the gear ratio on. Uh, yeah, I... I'm actually going to try and find out more information because my head was puzzled. I, I thought it would be, yeah, just blistering the field and, you know, everyone would look a bit silly, but I was actually mistaken. I think after the weekend, he uh, ended up with a fifth or sixth outright, which... Wow. That's so good. who won? Well, anyway, <laughs> so um, Mark Mark Greenham in his Evo 7 uh, with the co-driver Steph Estabau, um took out the event. Yeah, I bet you, you were pretty happy that an Evo won. I was. I'm also. I'm actually. I'm also happy for Mark and Steph. I know Mark quite well. Um, I've, yeah, you know yeah. both quite well, don't you? And I'm yeah. Steph. I know quite well, and is um, married to a good friend of mine, friends. So I was quite happy. Um, and I, well, in my notes here it says they were on max attack. Like everyone else was there to you know win, but just out of the car park, the first actual stage, Mark got to run. It was chalk and cheese. Yeah. And I said it to him. I, I went, "You were just out of the gates, and you were gone. Like you were." hanging to go so yeah that was pretty exciting we caught some other stages later in the afternoon um and it's quite ironic it's, again it's not my notes here but i kind of got normally i plan these things in advance even as a spectator i plan these things in advance my mate that came with me laughs at me he goes you might as well compete you print out the stage maps you print out the time <laughs> i even made my own maps in google maps with waypoints on how to get there and alternate roads just in case i got lost you know this is this is what i do for this these yeah, things yeah, right yeah yeah <clears throat> which i'll actually give a shout out to my friend franz who has competed in these events as a driver um something i learned off him was your plan if you want to spectate your plan how to spectate so <laughs> all the planning you didn't think to hire a helicopter well <laughs> Hey, I wasn't totally chalice. who was down there on the weekend. Um, anyway, long story short, I messed up my times. So then we um, we went for a wander through Pemberton and went to the Gloucester tree. We didn't climb it, but we had a look around and we took photos of birds. Sounds but, like a r- romantic <laughs> interlude yeah. there. So any, anyone following my Instagram on the weekend would have got rally cars, photos of kookaburras and a, a wren or something, I believe. Then more rally cars. Spelled with a W? Yes. <laughs> Anyway, the um, weekend ended up with a stage just outside of Pemberton, uh, well, on the Saturday it did, um, which was quite nice. Um, the rain just, just started whispering in again, but didn't really hurt us. And then we headed home for the afternoon. There was a stage on the Sunday, which actually is in the town of Pemberton. They sort of go, and Pemberton, if you've ever been there, is quite a hilly town, I dare would say, and bumpy. Mark actually ended up with a... Um, blown strut on the Sunday. Oh, really? Oh, wow. And it was only... Um, and they had a, a good lead, and um, the second place gear at the time was uh, Will White, who copped 45 seconds worth of penalties on the Sunday, and so gave Mark and Steph a nice sort of cruisy lead that they could bring the car what home. What were the penalties for? 
uh, some speeding infring- infringements and some other okay. things. I'm not too sure. I haven't found out the yeah. whole results yet. Parking tickets or something. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, yeah, Mark and Steph took it out. Um, it's good to see because um, for, for Mark, especially, it's a back-to-back win. He won last year as well with a different co-driver. And it's also good to see Mark and Steph won because they've been running that car on and off, you know, driver and co-driver for a couple of so years. I just want to make sure that the listeners have got this, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> an Evo, yeah. Evo smoked an R35 GDR. Yes, that's <laughs> correct. Evo 7. Wow, sounds like roll racing. Yeah, driven by, and again, complimenting Mark here, and um, we actually endeavoured to have him on the show one day, hopefully. I reached out to him and said, hey, look, let's have a chat. He, um, very good driver, has a very, um, well, a good past. He's ridden, driven street oh, cars. I thought you would have put it all in the car. What? Just, just, you know, just let everyone know that the Evos are better than the Nissan. No, I'm not going to play that game entirely. <laughs> but, um, and I said, and, and milk look, it a little bit. Just yeah, well, a little bit. And determination to win. But, you know, I mean, and, but yeah, it's good to see because they, said they have had mixed results in the previous couple of years with mechanical failures or minor incidents. And touch wood this year, Mark has come out, won a few, like, this is a, won this event, and now heading to the Targo Bunbury Sprint. They're hoping to have a clean sweep of that one. And who came second? Well, Will White. So even after he's penalty, yeah, what sort of car? Evo Nine, I believe. Another Evo. So yeah. two Evos. Wow. Yeah. First and second. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, but yeah. um. White and Webb in not pursuit. So he's yeah. got that written here. Yeah. No. So yeah, leading on from this, so we're heading to the Target Bunbury Sprint, um, which will be just a one-day event down in Bunbury. And and these all count for a, like a Targa yeah. series, yeah. Yeah, they do. So up again, I was so a bit. How many how many rounds are they into the Targa series now? There's th- the three big events, which is Targa Southwest, Targa Bunbury Sprint, and Targa West. Yep. And there is, I believe, six or seven minor events, which is a sprint series they hold at Quanana. Yeah, and, that, and that's all part of the series. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, h- how many more rounds left? Four or five. Telling the truth, I sort of knew about the Targa Cup. It's called. Yep. And was having a look at some results earlier in the week and went, oh, hang on. I, I thought it started yearly. I'm actually mistaken. And yep. sorry, shows my, um, I don't know what the word for it is, but lack of knowledge. <laughs> but uh, basically, um, they actually, it counts from last year. So a lot of the rounds were last year. Um, and then they, they start after Tiger West. So there was like September was the first round last year. And you get... Um, I wouldn't say minor points, but the points aren't as big for winning winning um, the sprint series rounds, whereas if you take out Southwest, the Bunbury Sprint, and across Target West, they're big, the big points. Big points. So the good thing is Mark is now leading the Target Cup in the modern category f- for 87 to 2007, I think, cars. Yep. There you go. Awesome. One, one thing we should add right here is Dave Smith as well from Targa West will be joining us on, next week on the podcast, so you can tune in and, and listen to that. That'll be great. We're having him here and right here in the studio, and you can ask all things Targa West. Well, on that note, I guess we better wrap it up, boys. Yeah. We'll wrap this one up. Thanks for coming in, guys, and uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, we will see you next week. See you on the street. See you, guys. Talk and Power, your motorsport and motoring radio show. Now on 88.5 FM, the valley comes alive. And podcasting across iTunes and talkandpower.com.au.